Well, good morning, Bryan College. It's great to be here with you. Um, I'm sorry for the the buildup of the good hair comments, uh, and then I get up here. My name is Jeremy Lucarelli. My friends call me Luca, so you can feel free to call me Luca. I'll go ahead and tell you I am a short Italian. So you're in for a, a double whammy with that. I have short man complex where I feel like I've got to be a little more loud and a little more in your face. And then I've already got the Italian hands out to start using them to talk to you. So um, if you're not awake, uh, then, then wake up, okay? Uh, we're dealing with Job. So we've got Nick that says, Jeremy and Luca are always intense. And you're going through an intense book of the Bible. You are going through an intense book of the Bible during an intense time in your life as a student at Bryan College. How many of you are under the weight of projects that are due this week? While you don't have open sores, while your children haven't died, while all of your cattle have not gone, you are dealing with the weight of uh, maybe some procrastination as well. How many of you are, you've got the projects due this week and then the finals in a couple of weeks and you're in this bliss period of like, that's coming but I'm not there yet. Thanks for mentioning that, Lucarelli. Okay, great. Uh, well, hopefully in our time together today, we can spend some time looking at what God says in his word and what he wants to communicate to your heart uh, about himself, and that will stir your affections for Jesus. So join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to hear your word, to experience your word, to be at a place where Christ is above all, where the word of God leads us to fall in love with the Son of God by the Spirit of God. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that in our short time together this morning. Would you cut out the distraction? Would you focus our attention on what you want to say, what you have said in your word through Job and what you want to do in our hearts and in our lives as a result of Jesus and the Spirit. Father, only you can do that. Only you can hold our attention. So, Lord, we ask that you would do that. In the name of Jesus, the powerful, strong name we pray. Amen. All right. How many of you are Siri users? That's it? Come on. Okay, Alexa or Google Assistant, no one? You all don't do the like, hey Siri, you're in an argument, you're playing a game, you're, you've got something, somebody has a question, you could depend on the knowledge of someone around you, or, hey Siri, what does, th this is really good that no one's phone is going off right at this moment too, this happened to me earlier this week. Hey Siri, what are some of the questions that we ask Siri? I'm an interactive person, so shout some things out. What are some things that we ask Siri? What's the weather like today? Is it going to rain? What else? A definition of a word. Maybe you're playing Scrabble. How do I deal with this word? Okay, what else? What's the score? Thank you. What's the score in this game? How do I get from point A to point B? What is the history of this thing? We ask Siri a lot of questions. 
my four-year-old daughter has a relationship, she thinks, with Alexa. Someone bought us an Amazon Echo last year for Christmas, and my four-year-old daughter thinks that it is the most amazing thing. One time, in the not-too-distant past, my daughter accidentally called me with Alexa. I was in a meeting. I didn't hear it. She calls using Alexa to my phone, and some weird thing happened where it recorded the 10-minute conversation that my four-year-old was having with Alexa. It started out something like this. Alexa, play the greatest showman. Turn to, uh, that didn't happen. Alexa, I said, play the greatest showman. Alexa, and then she kind of gave up. Alexa, play Imagine Dragons Thunder. She loves that song. Then it turned to some other questions. Alexa, how does a butterfly fly? Alexa, and she just keeps going on and on, and she starts getting frustrated. There's this this, uh, ride of emotion up and down. Alexa, and then down to the like, she thinks that if she whispers, because this is what we do to her. Alexa, listen, didn't happen. It's because she was asking all of these questions and there was no answer. There was no response. Have you ever been in a place where you ask questions? You ask a question and there's this wait in response. Or you ask questions and not only is there a wait in response, but when you do get the response, you're like, that's not the question that I asked. That's not the answer. That answer is not the question, does not answer the question that I asked. So you ask Siri something about directions, and then she tells you about the weather. Well, what we're going to look at today is a similar experience heightened from a four-year-old level to Job is on the ash heap with sores and boils with all kinds of loss almost a PTSD situation and God answers him if you have your Bible please turn to Job chapter 38 and I'm going to read a couple of verses and to you and then we're going to walk through several of these verses together Job chapter 38 then The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you will make it known to me. Three small little verses, and we'll unpack the rest of them. Today, we're going to look at the real questions in the midst of suffering, first part. Then we're going to look at God's answers in the midst of suffering. And then we're going to look at our response to those answers in the midst of suffering. We're going to try to unpack this idea that God uses suffering To put us in our proper place. And God uses suffering to put him in the proper place in our lives. 
In other words, in a four-year-old way of saying this, we're going to be talking about, in the midst of suffering, how to have a big God and a little me perspective. Okay? So first up, the real questions in the midst of suffering. You all are several parts into this series on the book of Job. 37 chapters. What are some things that have happened in the book of Job up to this point? Job chapter 1. We're introduced to Job. We're told that Job is a righteous or a blameless man. We see that Job has a ton of stuff and a ton of kids. We don't know about his nationality. We don't know about his lineage. We don't know a whole lot of stuff about him. We just know Job. Then what happens with Job? We are introduced to him and then we are whisked up to a manager's meeting or a staff meeting in heaven. And who comes on the scene? Satan. Or the Satan, the accuser, the prosecutor, comes onto the scene and he accuses Job and accuses God and says, the only reason he worships you is because of the stuff you give him. The only reason that he worships you is because of the things that he gets from you. Take that away, he's not going to worship you. And what does God do? Okay. Here's my servant Job. You can do anything to him. You can take anything from him except for his life. Fast forward. Chapter 2. What happens? All of his kids have food. All of his kids have these feasts. Job prays for them. All these things happen. And one report after another report after another report Everything is taken away. His livelihood, his kids, his stuff, and there Job is. His health. God leaves his wife, but we won't comment on that. She comes out to be a pretty nasty lady. Curse God and die, Job. And then his friends come on the scene. This is the next couple of chapters. And he gets some advice. Have you ever gotten some advice from your friends that might have some, it might sound good, but at the end of the day, it's lacking. It's lacking in wisdom. It's lacking in turning your attention and affection towards God. It might have some true things about God, but it lacks who God is. The friends accuse God and accuse Job as well. They say something like, well, Job, you must have done something wrong. You've done, look at what's happened to you. The friends have a works-based type relationship with their father, with God. Well, you, a karma-based relationship. Well, you've done this. This is the result. So if this is the solving of the equation, you must have done A, B, and C to get to everything's gone. What did you do, Job? 
And this idea of karma, that we get what we give, that we put into it to get things from God. So we, we've got a lot of questions, a lot of accusations. God, he only worships you because you give him stuff. God, and then the friends, you only deal with him based on his performance. And though this is one of the oldest books in the Bible, those questions, that narrative is still something that we struggle with today. Does God deal with me according to my performance? Does God, uh, do I only worship God if I get health? wealth and happiness and I leave Bryant College with a ring on my finger. Thirty seven chapters back and forth with the friends and Job. And then finally Job basically tells them this is not helping. You're not helping. This is getting worse. This is, I'm on an ash heap. I'm dealing with all this stuff. And what you're saying is making it worse. And then Job starts to accuse God. And puts himself in the place of God. God, if you, how, is, are you really just? God, are you really wise? God, the wicked do these things and they prosper. I'm blameless. I'm righteous. And look at my family. Look at my body. Look at what's happened to me. Is that really true? So like my four-year-old little girl with Alexa, asking questions, turning to accusation. Questions move to questions. There's no answer. And then we move to part two. God's answer in the midst of suffering. (laughs) Look at some of this with me. Look at what God says. Look at Job chapter 38 verse 4. After he's just said, okay, we'll do this. You want to do this? We'll do this. Who's you? You think you have understanding? You think you know what's up? Okay, dress for action because now I'm going to question you. This totally blows the shack mindset of God that brings you a cup of tea and ministers to you in your your wounds. It blows it out of the water. This is holy God coming to someone that has made these accusations against him and says, okay, dress like a man because I'm going to question you. Whoa. Sound effect for, for uh, <laughs> emphasis, right? Look at the first question that he asks him. Asks him. Look at verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determines its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Where were you, Job? So, I'm an inductive Bible teacher. 
It kills me to be telling you what I've learned from the text. Usually what I would do is say, here, here's Job 38. Let's mark every reference to God and let's see what the text says about God and then let's reason through it together. Okay, so if we had a ton of time, I'd be like, here, mark this word, mark God. God answers Job not with one question, not with two questions, over the next couple of chapters, 64 questions that do not answer any of Job's direct questions. Why suffering? Why did this happen to me? Doesn't answer any of that. 64 of them. There's some more questions in there. It'd be great for you if you have time in the midst of the weight of your projects and uh, final exams to take chapter 38, to go through and look at all the questions that God asks, and then to think in your mind, what does this tell me about God? So look at verse Four, what does the question, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, tell me about God? God laid the foundation of the earth. And Job wasn't there, and you weren't there. He created it. He owns it. Out of nothing, he spoke into existence everything. Where were you? Remember, Job's on the ash heap. He's dealing with a lot of stuff. And God says, where were you when I created everything? Uh, Real quick, a couple of things that he says. Where were you when I formed the earth, four through seven? What were you doing when I put the boundaries of the sea up? Okay, you over there come a little bit. Okay, stop. And you over there come a little bit. Stop. And that happened in a span of 10 seconds of me just talking. But when God did it, it was boom, the boundaries are there. Where were you when I made the boundaries? When I rolled out the clouds like a blanket? Where were you? When I put the constellations together, not like you and I when we put Ikea furniture together and it takes forever and you don't understand how to do it. God did the constellations and boom, they're there. Where were you? Do you understand that? Do you know how that happens? While we're going there, Job, where do storms come from? Do you understand the snow Do you understand the rain? How does lightning and the wind, like a lot of times the the little Instagram Bible people that just do Bible study when they're on Instagram to show other people that they do Bible study, when it snows, they'll take a picture of the snow and then they'll go to this chapter in Job and talk about the beauty of the snow. But in reality, God is using the snow to sarcastically come at Job and say, where were you, bro? More than where they come from, Job, can you predict them? So storms, hail, rain, that's verses 22 and following. All these questions that come from it, torrential rain, how does that happen? More than how does it happen, can you predict that, Job? More than understanding how it happened, can you predict when 
a hurricane's going to happen, Job? Can you predict when a snowstorm that takes out half of the United States during Thanksgiving holiday travels? Can you predict that? Most of the meteorologists in America can't figure that out. But can you, Job? Have you ever set the boundaries of the ocean? And then he gets into some weird stuff later on in chapter 39. I don't want to steal the thunder. But do you understand why ostriches are so ugly, Job? Seriously, verse 13. Do you understand the mating patterns of goats, Job? God uses suffering. Look at what he's doing for Job. Get your eyes off the suffering Don't come at me like that, Job, and accuse me. Get your eyes on how huge I am. Big God perspective. Instead of answering Job's questions, instead of explaining the problem of evil, instead of explaining all of those things away, Job in this moment has God come to him and take his eyes off of this and his eyes on, oh my word. I don't know the answer to that question, God. I wasn't there. I have no idea how rain works. I have no idea how the stars got in the sky. I don't know, Lord, but you do. I don't know, I wasn't there, but you were. I can't do that, God, but you did that out of nothing. You're doing that now, and you will continue to do that. I don't control that, God, but you do. God uses suffering to put us in our place and him in his proper place. And then what's our response to that? Why these big questions Well, here, Job, here's the problem of evil. And you see, we've got this, and this is the theology of evil. And this is how I do. No, he doesn't do that. He does a, where were you when I created? Perspective change. When the vantage point changes from Job's friend, Job and his friends to God, what happens? Why is that helpful for Job in the midst of suffering? Why is it helpful for us to have a big picture view of God in the midst midst of suffering? Job, you can't fathom how all of these natural things work. You're, You're either a farmer or a conglomerate of farmers through your sons. And you're dependent upon the rain. You're dependent upon these things to happen. And you can't understand this. Are you really going to be able to understand spiritual and eternal things? You can't even get the natural stuff. Herein lies an important perspective question for us. The assumption that Job and all of his friends were working off of is that they were in the judge and jury seat. They had enough knowledge. They had enough wisdom, enough experience to then point the finger at God and say, you're not righteous, you're not good, you're not just, you're not in control really. Whoa. That's a big, big place 
that we as believers do not want to be in. It looks like this. Big God, God, you're sovereign. You have power. You reign. You spoke. You hold all things together. You did the boundaries. You have the storehouses. I, Job, I have little power. I can't do, I can't do that. Big God, wisdom, knowledge, infinite. Little Job, limited understanding. Limited vantage point. I don't even get why this is happening right now. Big God, perspective of eternity. Little Job, self-centered vantage point in the now. Big God, over all things, he reigns, he's created. Little Job, I can't even understand some of the key created things like the ocean or the snow. I really can't understand the Holocaust. Syrian refugees. Why evil happens. Job, you are limited in your knowledge. You don't have the whole picture. I'm not limited. I have the whole picture. I set the limits. I'm God. Big God, little Job. God uses suffering to put us in our proper place and him in his proper place. So then that brings us to what's our response? Instead of starting from a man-centered view when we are in the midst of suffering, when people around you are suffering, instead of starting with the man-centered, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe the fallenness of man has resulted in this. What we need to do and what Job shows us and what the entire word of God shows us is that we need to have a perspective change. Eyes off this, eyes on who God is. Big God, sovereign, rule, reign, little me. Not just little Job, little you. You have no power. Some of you over the next several months, we'll most likely get a phone call or a text that changes the trajectory of your entire lives. You have no power over that. Big God, wisdom and knowledge. You have very limited wisdom and knowledge. Very little control. Very little ability to change things. And then when you are in that posture, I have little control. I have little power. I have little ability to change things. I have little wisdom. Insert the gospel. You have no power. But praise God. That the gospel is the power of God to salvation to all. All who believe. Power to raise the dead. You have power through the spirit of God inside you. To conform you to the image of Christ. You have demonstrated power. That the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. Now lives in you. So you start from a posture of. I have no power. Yep you're right. Gospel. I need salvation. I need someone to stand in my place. Heart change, spirit comes in, and now you have power to be my witnesses. 
Okay, well, what about wisdom? I have no wisdom. You're right. You had no wisdom. You were foolish. You were dumb. And yet when salvation happened and when God changes things, you now have the mind of Christ. Not you're working to get it, you're going to school to get the mind of Christ. Salvation, you don't have a JV version of the Holy Spirit. You don't have a JV version of the mind of Christ. You have the full mind of Christ. And your job is to constantly be renewed. Renew your mind by being in the Word of God. You have the mind of Christ. You have the power of the Spirit within you. Enter Jesus, the Spirit of God, resurrecting us. I have a limited perspective over here. Enter the gospel. I have a heavenly perspective. I seek the things where Christ is. Colossians 3. I look towards Christ. I, in the midst of my suffering, all over the New Testament we're about to go. I, in the midst of suffering, I don't look at what's going on right here in this little sliver. I, it, what I'm experiencing right now is not even worth being compared to the eternal weight of glory in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, you have power. In Christ Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. In Christ Jesus, you can have an eternal perspective where suffering is used in order to get the eyes off of you and eyes on the Lord. And it's crazy how it works that way. Tozer said it like this, with the goodness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? In Christ, Brian's student that is a child of God, you have everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. In Christ Jesus, you have the ability to not be surprised by suffering when it comes upon you as though some strange thing is coming upon you. You have the ability to stand firm because you're in Christ. In Christ, you have the ability to count it all joy when you encounter various trials. In Christ, you have the ability to know that God is taking you as a bruised reed and growing you through suffering into a mighty oak of righteousness. Suffering does that. Romans 5 says that as he's doing that, he pours out his love for us in the midst of our suffering. So friend, God uses suffering to put us in our place. I've got nothing. To stop being arrogant to stop acting like we have control, to stop acting like we have all the wisdom, put us in our place, get our view on God, and then to realize the treasure that we have in Christ. God uses our suffering to put us in our proper place and him in his proper place. So if you're in the midst of suffering right now, I know it seems almost like a slap in the face or a sucker punch to be like, get your eyes off of yourself. I'm praying that God uses the word of God to get your eyes off of you and on to who God is. And in that, that God revives your soul through his word. Some of you have experienced suffering and you are in the process of healing. 
I pray the same thing for you. That your perspective, you have a God-sized perspective and a little you perspective to know who God is in the midst of it. And many of us are preparing for suffering. Same thing. Use your time at Brian. Use your time in your church community to get your eyes to know what God says about himself and to develop a theology of suffering so that when tragedy strikes you or someone you know or someone in your church, you treasure Jesus and become more like him in the midst of suffering. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are direct. You are direct with Job. Your word is direct. It's living and active, sharper than the double-edged sword. It cuts through all the stuff and gets straight to the heart of the matter really quickly. Father, would you change our perspective? If we've been living with a karma-like theology or a performance-driven theology, Father, would you show us the beauty of Jesus once again, that we had nothing and you lavished love, grace, and riches on us in Christ while we were dead. And Father, for those that are in the midst of suffering, would you allow them to have a huge perspective of who you are? that you are good, that we can trust you, that you are wise and powerful and just. Make us steadfast, make us immovable, allow us to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray.